Welcome to Diving Into Crypto. Diving Into Crypto. A weekly series where thought leaders share insights, strategies, and insider stories about all things crypto and Web3. Brought to you by Adlunum. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Diving Into Crypto. This is your host, JP, from Adlunum INC, bringing you everything about Web3. On the show today, we have Sheldon Deer from the Octopus Network, and I'm really, really excited to have a deep dive into what the Octopus Network's all about. Um, I, I understand it's nothing to do with uh, the oceans, but it also does have something to do with the reason that it's spreading out so much. Before we begin, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you first, uh, there is an option for you to use those emojis. Uh, you can change the color of the hearts or the, the hands with the exception of the faces. So please, today's flavor of the heart is blue. Um, of course, because we are talking to the Octopus Network and Views expressed on this program belong to that of the speaker and is not to be considered as financial advice. All ideas that are shared on this program are for education purposes only. All right. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like the room is filled up and will continue to do so. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest for today, Sheldon. Sheldon, welcome. Hey, thanks so much Once for again. having me. Awesome. Okay, so Sheldon, I you know let's let's get the show on the road. Sheldon, tell us a little about uh, who you are and and what you do. So I'm technical lead for Octopus Network, and that means that I handle a whole bunch of different things that are a sort of front of house technical responsibilities. So that's somewhere in the scope of DevRel technical partnerships. Um, you know, literally doing uh, community support, and and I love that stuff. It's what I've been doing in crypto for years, and um, I'm just, I'm happy that Octopus and I aligned on some, you know, shared vision. And of course, that's, that's why I'm here. Super. Okay. Thank you for that, Sheldon. Sheldon, how do I pronounce your last name? Deer is right. Okay. So Sheldon has, you know, considered the crypto industry or considered it for either te the technology or the finance or just the fascination with Bitcoin. That's been the entry for most of us, uh, in the room for, for the population at large, right? But I'm curious to understand, uh, what was it that got you into this industry? And more specifically, what was the moment that that switch flipped and you said, Web3 is the space to be for me? So um, in late 2013, early 2014, um, I was working in a technical support center um, I had a client who was a Taco Bell franchise, and somebody had walked into their business. I think it was in Illinois. It was somewhere in the Midwest, and they put in what's called a rubber ducky. Someone literally plugged in a little USB drive that started maliciously mining uh, Monero and Bitcoin. And being the sort of uh, network engineer who was responsible for helping them, uh, it was my job to write a report and basically fight Taco Bell IT and say, hey, I know you don't have security policy that covers this, but you need to add it. This is a change necessary for all stores. That's not right. what Taco Bell IT wants to hear. Okay. So, um, you know, preparing that report, um, you know, doing the sort of detailed research to to see Bitcoin poking through the Great Firewall of China and notice mm -hmm. its flows over the, the sort of, uh, you know, the macro Internet through some tools like 
um, uh, Thousand Eyes, which lets you monitor BGP over the world. Um, I was just, I was really, really impressed to see um, Chinese people taking significant risks to, you know, to run Bitcoin, to participate in the network. And between mm -hmm. that and what I already knew about ransomware, I was like, okay, whether this is being used maliciously or not, this works. This is really cool. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I think that's the most fascinating story we've heard. Um, for the first time, <laughs> for the first time, we've seen someone that um, you know shared shared an experience that it has uh, that was potentially, of course, negative to to uh, on the surface, but it it led you down this corridor that that got you into the industry. I'm I'm very lucky for it. It was it was an interesting opportunity. Fantastic. Okay, so I we we know now what what got you here, but um. What, what keeps you here? I mean, what, what makes you passionate about Web3? Um, well, I, I grew up a little bit, um, let's say, politics-pilled, uh, pretty pretty young. So, mm -hmm. you know, understanding that uh, concentrated power isn't necessarily the adults doing the most intelligent thing they could be doing uh, just led me to be asking questions as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I carried a lot of that into the, the modern Web3 uh, because back in 2013, 2014, what did we do? We, we didn't have smart contract platforms to, you know, be building intercontract apps or multi-contract apps. So right. um, I, I think what keeps me here is the, um, the sort of like community that's acquired, the collaboration that's required. It is not the same as fintech. It's not the same as crypto in 2017. It's not the same as crypto in 2013 or 14, mm -hmm. but this motivation to build community oriented products to you know utilize open source stuff to do something that is like you know resilient i'm i'm really interested in that sort of stuff you know the technology that makes more sense for us socially it's it's the stuff that's going to last i i agree with that i mean and when you're talking about it from from you know that far back as 2013 2014 i think the in the early days it was just the fascination with with the money at first right when mm -hmm. the financial figures started coming in and people saw uh, three-digit and then four-digit uh, rises in the investments. Um, so um, so it's, it's interesting that you say that, okay, it, you know, uh, the community at this point of time is looking at the real-world use case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, and, I mean, and you, they're, you, they're, they're pretty focused on it. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. I think there's a slight delay in the line, but I'll 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 try and work that into into the questions I'm asking. Um, so yeah, so uh, so so in terms of in terms of the real world use cases, I, I want to dwell a little about that, um, and also a little about the about the community. So let let's start with the community first, and then go go into the use cases that you're seeing. Uh, like you said, the, the community is slightly different from from between then and now. Uh, how? I mean, I, I know that the community is important uh, with with any project, with, with any protocol. Um, but more specifically, what seems to be the stock difference, right? The one thing that most people are not seeing in the community shifts from before and and now. Well, well, what do you need to to really run a community to anchor a a, a collaboration, right? You need to be providing value. I think that mm -hmm. over the last four years, there's been a misunderstanding that that value needed to be cash. You know, mm -hmm. I, I totally understand that it's a desperate world out there and people need money, but that shouldn't mm -hmm. lead to, you know, skipping the jump on, hey, this industry is literally designed for value before profits. If you mm -hmm. put profits first, then you're going to put a whole bunch of sell pressure on an idea. So right. 
I think that that's really the the main thing that people are pivoting to now is that value propositions that have uh, let's say social requirements or that are really like heavily socially anchored. Um, that stuff mm-hmm. does work. That stuff is worthwhile and interesting. Tokenizing relationships the way we didn't before. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's what Web3 is. So I, I feel like that pivot is um, kind of happening to us now. You know, it's not that NFT projects are over bought this year. It's not that FTX was such a disaster. Just the right. combi- the combined result of all these things is is driving people to, you know, sort of ask again, like, hey, why are we here? And it's it's not necessarily for money. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So I, I do see some of that, that that's happening, but I, I'm I'm yet to I'm yet to be convinced about the the wider the you know the wider spectrum. Are there are there specific spaces you're seeing it? Are there? Could you elaborate a little more about that? Or, sure. For um, example. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, Cosmos is a, is a good example of that. Um, mm-hmm. Projects coming out of near hackathons has been a really, really nice example of that, how they're like integrating with different working groups. So they have some, uh, let's say, official structure that they're drawing from, but also there's a series of privacy communities that are interested in different things. And privacy communities don't tend to step forward and announce themselves, you know. So right. um, I, I think that it is a little bit tough to, to track the progress on this metric. But at the same time, mm-hmm. if you look at NFT projects six months ago and look at them today, most of them are working on some social utility and I'm not mm-hmm. seeing as much of the sort of like club promise, you know, ba- uh, 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 board apes are basically, Hey, you're in the club and therefore you get this promise of some, you know, off chain uh, benefit. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that we're moving away from that gradually to um, relationship oriented tokens, to social tokens, to reputation tokens. And I, I think that's much more worthwhile for the industry. I would I would agree with you. So you know, so oddly enough, I was having a similar conversation with an industrialist uh, just a day ago, and the the last place I expected him to have any focus on was, of course, the crypto industry. So when we were catching up, uh, one of the things he told me was like, uh, was Hey, this is something that you have to, you know, watch out for. There's, there's just so many scams. There, you know, people have been drug pulled, and uh, my jaw hit the floor the fact that he was so knowledgeable about what was happening. But at the same time, I know that through his businesses, he can derive a lot of value uh, from, uh, you know, from from Web three tech, right? From not just the blockchain technology, but also Web three tech. So he's got a chain of retail stores. He's he's gone into e commerce. Uh, he has warehousing, uh, you know, a, a logistics business, uh, distribution uh, for uh, for FMCGs uh, and and appliances. And in you know, it it's it's fascinating to to see that there still isn't a shift to new technology adoption. I mean, uh, I'm certain you, you may come across cases that way. So what would you say to people like that? Um, I mean, there's, there's pretty reasonable skepticism to have. I think that the mentality of 99% of all businesses fail is a, a healthy way to approach this industry. Um, but yeah, I think that filtering is just a matter of detail and, and most people are not going to jump up and say, hey, look at my very complex workflow. Here's how this works. <laughs> you know, but being willing to, to dive in and rip through that stuff, that really helps you, you know, decide yay from nay on, on whether things make sense for you as a business or, or as an individual. Fair enough. Okay. So uh, tell us a little about uh, about Octopus Network and, and what it does and where its te- tentacles have, have stretched out to. 
Sure. So octopus is a, a really interesting concept. Um, basically, we took the mentality from Polkadot, we took the mentality from Cosmos, and we said, when you go to Polkadot, you get the relay chain, you get a place where you can, um, you know, do some smart contract execution or some operations outside your own blockchain. Um, Cosmos is a, a sort of similar, a similar but opposite positioning, where you're going to the hub specifically for liquidity. We said, Near can provide both of these things in an efficient way, mm -hmm. thanks to Rust. So why don't we build a system that lets Nier help other chains? So basically, mm -hmm. we developed this concept through existing tools already available on Substrate, and we use that with a custom RPC to peer up with Nier itself. So that means mm -hmm. that the ecosystem that we've built is right now five blockchains that all communicate directly with Nier through the smart contracts that we maintain. So that is a, um, a really different uh, methodology and sort of structure than other projects that I've seen. But mm -hmm. most importantly, in that structure, our goal is to help these small projects launch, mature, and eventually either renew their relationship with the ecosystem or leave. Mm -hmm. And some people get a little nervous about that sell pressure, but this is normal for just about every um, independent yeah. chain that has a token. At some point, mm -hmm. you understand that you know economics may not be in a positive place and the validator set needs mm -hmm. to get paid. So right. we're trying to support economics that make that easier for small chains and providing them free resources like an explorer and an indexer to make sure that they can, you know, get up and be successful in their first years. Sounds awesome. Okay. Um, so, so Sheldon, I'm, 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 I hear what you're saying about about how how it was designed and what 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 are you what are you looking to do? Of course, you know, and even the the fact that you guys are on your protocol. Uh, did you at any point of time uh, consider, you know? why the Octopus network doesn't have its own blockchain or the integration with Nier and Octopus um, seems something that is um, I, I, not just, I mean, you know, it seems symbiotic, right? Uh, mm -hmm. but, but why that as opposed to your own protocol? So having your own blockchain creates a sort of um, economic demand. There has to be enough value on that chain for it to be worthwhile to try to sell a governance token, to make operations between other chains, um, you know, to make economic assessments to some degree, right? So right. Octopus decided a long time ago that the, the right move was not to make an independent chain that became the layer between Nier. Um, mm -hmm. And we're still considering the sort of state mine option, which is, you know, to have a mm -hmm. chain that we produce be helping, you know, other chains with uh, interchain tooling. Um, mm -hmm. But at, at the same time, um, this... Uh, uh, let's see, how do I say this? Oh, forgive me, it's early here. I just lost my place. Um, I, I can tell you that the, um, the, the the economic ball and chain is not necessary. At the same time, uh, being on near directly is a significant benefit to us for a couple of reasons. Number one, 30% um, of all smart contract transactions go to the owner of that smart contract, the fees. Um, mm -hmm. So that does help us offset costs a little bit. It's not something we're profiting from, but that is a pretty significant benefit to have existing TVL, to have existing DEXs where we can just, you know, benefit from operating the protocol and be able to offset costs. And of course, the, the scalability of NIR is, is really, really valuable. Um, if we have a, a throughput problem today, if we have too much traffic for NIR, uh, we can have mm -hmm. our own NIR shard very quickly and very easily. And some validators right. have already agreed to do that with us when necessary. So that okay. um, that modularity and that flexibility from near it, it really brings a lot of benefit to Octopus. 
And it's part of mm-hmm. our um, you know, economic design to, to make sure that we're efficient enough to live on this layer one while utilizing it as a layer zero platform. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, so the thing is, I, I find this more and more fascinating because I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm not entirely tech bent. But, but what you're telling me um, does, does give me, you know, it begins to scratch the surface of where exactly, uh, you know, the the entire spread and the utility when it comes to when it comes to the Arctic network comes in. I'm also curious to understand some of the 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 ideal kind of projects or the ideal kind of businesses that um, you know the Octopus Network will find a close fit with. Uh, could you could you tell us a little more about that, Charlie? I can. Um, I can tell you that I I don't have a really precise answer for you because we support substrate chains, but substrate mm-hmm. chains that are community projects um, that have their value proposition contained on chain. That is the the main type of entity we want to support. This is not the most common thing, of course, but there isn't a certain use case that we look for. I'll tell you that we do prohibit sort of regular DeFi at the moment because being mm-hmm. able to you know create assets out of thin air and then sell them against OCT, this is mm-hmm. you know negative capital pressure for us that we don't want to sustain while the ecosystem is young. But otherwise, uh, you know, gaming, health, um, privacy, I'm sorry, Sheldon, I- um, social media. Go ahead. Down for a second, but if you can hear me, can someone please give me an emoji? You were gone for a second, but I think you're back. All right. Okay. Sorry, that was that was me. I I uh, I, I lost you at, okay. at the OCT. Sorry. Go for it. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, so there isn't a, a single use case that we, we look for. Uh, we are prohibiting DeFi at the moment just because we need to make sure that there isn't a, a capital uh, sort of threat to OCT token while it's young. We do support DeFi tooling. It just means that you can't um, you know, create the sort of unboundary creation of valueless assets. That is something that would not pass us an audit. Mm-hmm. But different uh, verticals that we're um, supporting right now include gaming, um, health, social media, uh, DAOs of different types, and mm-hmm. um, there's a, a few other projects that I'm really excited about that fit um, a bunch mm-hmm. of different social use cases. My my favorite one is sort of trying to upend the concept of a museum. You know, saying that if you wow. if you can afford to submit some gas on chain, if you can afford to go into a sort of uh, curator's process and talk to them mm-hmm. about your artifact, then you've got a chance to have that preserved. So th- there's a bunch of different things, but there isn't one use case that we look for. Sounds like you have interesting days at the office. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> it never gets boring. <laughs> okay. All right. That's, that's brilliant. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad you shared with us a little about the type of projects that, you know, the, that you like, guys like to work with. Uh, you also want to elaborate a little bit about some of the app chains that you, you, you know, you launch and run. Sure. I mean, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll run it down in order. Uh, Debio is mm-hmm. the first chain that we helped launch. Um, they've recently mm-hmm. uh, renewed their UX and started offering a product to um, substitute some of the, the different um, period tracking platforms that are centralized that sell your data. So they have a, um, a product right now that is, I think, burn 100 tokens. It might be burn $100 mm-hmm. worth of tokens. And then, you know, you have a public privacy database, the same thing that you would be using for their, um, you know, their, their genetic health service. You have that right. protecting your menstrual data. So I think that's very interesting. Um, 
the second chain that launched is Myriad. That's a, sh a social platform that lets you, um, you know, federate your own social network to a larger social network while maintaining a Twitter integration and tipping. So that's a, a pretty cool one. Um, also, there's Atocha, which is puzzle incentivization. You're creating and solving puzzles um, to sort of, uh, let's say, validate that you're human and, you know, confirm that the puzzle can be solved and that the solve makes sense. So there's a whole, you know, curation and governance around that. Um, there's Discoval, which is literally a curation DAO. So that is any content from any social media or any link anywhere. You can post it and say, hey, you know, I think this about this. Can you guys give me some feedback? So, you know, incentivizing an attention economy there. And also right. um, Fuzatau is doing uh, DeFi tooling. So that I, I think was one of the most recent chains to launch. And um, their model is on-chain execution of an off-chain order book. Basically, if you're a small centralized exchange, you can put your order book on-chain so that the chain mm -hmm. validates that you are not uh, front-running your customers. So as a point of building trust, you can sort of yeah. preserve your order book with this trust paradigm. So I think that's a, a really interesting you know, suite of variety. And there is also an art of artist collective launching with us very soon. Um, but the, mm -hmm. the pending app chain candidates, they're also all very interesting. Different gaming tools, um, that museum concept is coming up. There's, um, yeah. I believe, 10 app chain candidates that are all working on different products that uh, don't compete head to head with those first five. Mm -hmm. well, well, the last one, I'm, I'm certain that the last one that you, you mentioned was is something that probably FTX should have used apart from QuickBooks. Uh, <laughs> and that, that would have been, uh, and I'm certain that we would have, wouldn't be in the state that we are today. Absolutely agree. And, you know, to the degree that we don't expect to, to be an FTX killer or to take over the world with billion dollar liquidity, starting small with that sort of thing is the way to go. <laughs> amen. Amen. I hear you. Um, super. OK. Uh, so, Sheldon, I, you know, this I, I like when you when, where you've put a spotlight to, um, you know, uh, especially where where the development aspect comes in, the the kind of network that you're building, the, the utility use cases, and you've, you've already created that art for us uh, in terms of where your passion, uh, passion lies, uh, how you got into Web3, what Octopus is doing, and, and all of it, of course, is is linked, uh, you know, quite, quite well together. Um, I'm curious to understand uh, what is the next block that's, you know, that, that's going to be added to this, you know, that's going to be linked up to this. Uh, so, where, where do you see this going from here? Where do, you, where do you see Octopus going from here? Well, I want to be transparent that there is a, a lot of things that I was talking about this year that I wanted to see completed this year. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them aren't going to make it. There's different dependencies in different places. So, I'll, I'll highlight the most critical one, in my opinion, which, which is ICS-10 from the IBC standard. Um, the Interchain mm -hmm. Foundation gave us a grant to work on this, and we did start working on this. But ICS-10 was designed for block headers and not for block finalization. So that means that right. it was you know, sort of known to be incomplete and that was okay. But after doing some auditing and understanding Substrate a little bit better, you know, the, the move is to make ICS-10 and ICS-11 happen at the same time. So that's the work I'm really excited for next year because once ICS-11 is validated, um, our solution for IBC between Substrate chains and Cosmos chains can be used by anyone. So that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to the most next year. And we did have that on the map to uh, get done this year. But like I said, there was a, a series of different dependencies outside our control. And of course, the solution has to be validated and you know confirmed to be secure before it's uh, sort of safe for the open world. So I'm really excited for that. 
Fair enough. Um, okay, controversial question. You don't have to answer. But uh, <laughs> are there other chains that you are that you 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 flirting with? Oh, other things that I'm flirting with. You said. Well, other chains. I'm sorry, other chains. Oh, oh, sure. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Um, so yeah. I, I was active in Polkadot ecosystem and Cosmos long before I had heard of Octopus Network. So I'm I'm still pretty present in those communities. I still like the way their um, economics and their culture work. Um, I've been keeping an eye on FTM a little bit recently. I did not expect Andre to sort uh -huh. of uh, revive from the grave again. It seemed like he was right. tired of this engagement stuff, but apparently he's back. You know. Um, so I'm keeping an eye over there, and there's a handful of other interesting entities. I'll just point out really quickly. Um, Cube mm -hmm. Network is an example of a you know modular concept, uh, modular consensus concept that also has IBC. Um, Hyperledger, uh, not Hyperledger, sorry, DataChain.jp is working mm -hmm. on um, IBC clients for Hyperledger and eventually IBC for Ethereum as well. Um, I think that's probably the the short list of what has me the the most intrigued that I'm keeping an eye on, besides ICS-11. I, I have those uh, GitHub updates to read every day. Okay, super. Um, so I'm, okay, so, so this, this of course, thank you for, for, for uh, sharing that with us, uh, you know, uh, out there. I'm also, I'm also curious to understand about now, if the, the, the way ahead is something that you've shared, uh, you know, the, the expansion is something that you, you've, you've shared as well. Um, what about the economy? I mean, what, what constitutes the, the economy at Octopus Network? So we use least proof of stake at Octopus, which means the OCT token is really a collateral tool binding validators mm -hmm. on these other blockchains to Octopus Network and to NIR. So mm -hmm. um, that... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm looking from the, the old questions. I need to stop looking at the, the old write-up. Um, sorry, can you ask the question one more time? It's early here. Sure, I apologize. Sure. Um, tell us, no, that's no, no worries, no worries. I mean, because it, it is overwhelming, right? There's just there's, there's so much uh, that's going on. There's 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 so much that you know uh, that has to happen. Uh, there's so much that has happened. Uh, but at the same time, the the question that I was coming to you is, of course, you know, uh, tell us a little about the the octopus economy. How does that work? Um, yes. And you know, what what are some of the good stuff, the highlights from there? Thanks for getting me back on track. Okay, so least proof of stake is the way that we use OCT as a as a tool to manage the economy. Basically, um, we've set this model at a, a flat number, so 100 million total, and that's the total pool that we see supply and demand coming through, where the supply side is token holders and the demand side is app chains. So mm -hmm. blockchains that want to come online and use our solution, they have to get into our economy because each validator needs to have a minimum of 5,000 OCT tokens. So okay. that economic relationship of, hey, you're going to ask somebody to stake a token different than your own token in order to get your token, and then that has benefits mm -hmm. with the organization that you're staking with, this is not an everyday relationship, but an on-chain MOU to help a small entity is basically like the, the linchpin of our economy to say, hey, you agree to this relationship, you do want to participate in this economic loop, which is least proof of stake. The OCT mm -hmm. token being leased out to people who need proof of stake for economic security. Mm -hmm. So okay. there is some, some other operations for the OCT token, but we can come back to that. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, so 
it's it's interesting. I I'm curious to understand. You know, why choose this model? I mean, if if uh, if you were part of uh, the decision that that made to do that, that uh, because it's it's in in some way different from you know uh, a standard use case. Sure, I'll be transparent that I'm not a founder, but I'm I'm pretty certain that we're on the same page about this um, ethos, mm-hmm. this mentality. There's lots right. of different. Um, you know, hey, I'm the best thing out there. You can trust me to talk to all your favorite layer ones type of projects and bless them. Some of them are doing really interesting things, but they are making themselves important in order to help users. And we just mm-hmm. don't see that as a, a worthwhile relationship. Um, of mm-hmm. course, it's it's very like direct and linear to say, hey, if I profit off a beneficial relationship, then I can keep doing it. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we think that asynchronous relationships and open source development make more sense as a way forward for yep. Web3. And that means building cool stuff has to happen first. If you have cell pressure on top of it from the beginning, you can expect that to put a damper on things, right? So that's the way that we see a, a need to develop tooling between different ecosystems that isn't necessarily us in the middle. And hopefully we'll be other people you know, utilizing the endpoints. You know, uh, Astro Network and, and us have a partnership because we need mm-hmm. to help them develop those endpoints. One of, one of those endpoints is not going to be us. So that right. mentality is, is really to um, push the building of the space forward and, and not prioritize our market cap in the short term. You know, um, it, the reason that that question struck me was because not just it was unconventional, but as you said, right, it, it's, it's open source, it's asynchronous, and it, it's more along the lines of moving together as, as opposed to, uh, you know, living off each other. Right yes. or profiting off each other because at the 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 moment that one of one of the two parties don't profit or one of you know whatever number of parties don't profit, that relationship ceases to exist. Uh, but the the way that you've and, and hats off to the team as as you you know as you structured this uh, that you you're really looking at this as uh, not just something different but in a way to to develop the ecosystem where a rising tide lifts all ships. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's one of the reasons I'm really proud to be here is that the shared vision that I'm sure that we all host is not a Web3 where we get rich. We've, we've been in crypto for long enough. The majority of people in this project, we're, we're, not, chasing, uh, we're not chasing the bag. We're, we're chasing Web3. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to hear this. It, it's refreshing to hear this as well. Um, so kudos to the team at, at Octopus Network. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you have that orientation. There's too few of us in the, in the industry that, that think this way, but um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are at the forefront of that. Yeah, thanks so much. It's, um, it's a little bit odd to, to be in the space and not have a very direct business and profit model, but at the same time, it's part of why I'm here and so passionate about this. Well, certainly it is, it is a long-term game without doubt. Okay. So uh, that being said, Sheldon, um, I'm, I'm, you know, when you, I want to pivot back a little to, um, to, to the point at which you said that the orientation that you have when it comes to when it comes to small businesses, and of course, one of the one of the 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 challenges that most developers face is, of course, in, uh, of course, understanding commerce. Uh, in that, you know, uh, commerce or or business or you know the the having the entrepreneurial mindset in um, in addition to an engineering mindset, right? But do you, do you find that do you find that 
you know, uh, as uh, do you find that as a challenge or is it something is it one of those challenges that that really excites you? I think that there's um, pros and cons here because it's easy to get caught up in things that are not necessarily economically viable or that may seem economically viable, but have like very obvious flaws. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there does need to be a, you know, um, engineer back to the other end of the scale and completely non-technical person back towards the engineer. Um, me personally, I'm very lucky that I live in the middle. That's part of how I'm helpful is that I understand both sides pretty well. But you're right that the average um, person doesn't come to the table with those skill sets both. So I think that there is, um, there's a lot of room for non-technical founders to collaborate with engineers. But at the same time, non-technical founders can be, I don't want to say lazy, but they can be intimidated by the tedious nature of stuff that they need to learn to really sync up with that engineer. So I would mm -hmm. say if you want to bridge the gap, if you want it to really make sense, you know, having that person who is a economic architect who is not necessarily the developer or if it is the developer, you know, do some war games with your concept and, right. you know, let that be the, the way that you go about it uh, to sort of assess if it makes sense. In order to conduct those war games effectively, the non-technical person is going to have to learn some stuff. So I think, you know, just some, right. some glossary, some basic design stuff it should be enough. Mm -hmm. At the same time, mm -hmm. if you're a non-technical founder and you have a, you know, token project design or public asset project design of any type, cryptocurrency or otherwise, it's worth consulting right. an engineer before you really set that design in stone. So I, I definitely agree with your statement. There's some need for both of these, um, these skills and they don't always live in the same, uh, let's say like right brain heavy space, but yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely a need for both. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, certainly, and and of course, one of the one of the uh, challenges for for most developers is you know the the ability to to take that aspect forward because I, I remember when you said uh, about the the hackathons that come out of of near you know the near hackathons mm -hmm. that that had happened earlier and there were some of the projects that you know you associated with uh, one of the dimensions and you know I'm I'm glad you're on the show today because this is something that that does need to get a spotlight on um, and you know. So when you when you have when you have a team that, that works into a project, you have all of them sitting around on a hackathon, uh, coding it, right? Uh, they're developing a solution, and and the people sitting in that space tend to have the the engineering mindset, right? Um, you know, not, no judgment here. It's just that that's what the team comprises of at that point of time, right? Um, I often see that there is you know that there is a, a large requirement to take those projects out into the real world and turn them into businesses. Um, and and that, that brings me to the question as, um, how does, how, how do you at Octopus Network uh, help projects like those, you know, uh, expand further? What, what is your orientation? What do you guys do, do with that? Sure. So we, we like the hackathon bounty kind of vibe, but at the same time, um, it is associated with some mildly exploitative, um, let's say framing. So we don't mm -hmm. want to set up an environment where people, you know, are spending money to come to a physical in-person event and then are sort of spending all their time, you know, on hackathon type activities. Our accelerator program right. is basically a, a one month engagement that says, hey, we're here for you. Whatever we can do to support you, just pop up and ask and, and we'll do what we can to support you. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's much more productive and I totally understand incentivization and camaraderie in the way that hackathons have been mm -hmm. put on. And I'm not talking shit about that. 
but simultaneously yeah. the the way that we help projects is our accelerator program um, and that also mm -hmm. means that if someone uh, doesn't make it through that accelerator program and is still applying for what's called app chain candidate status meaning that they're sort of like mm -hmm. an acknowledged um, you know entity building on octopus network um, then we, right. we give them one-on-one -on -one support in the chat <clears throat> so there is a um, a private lobby in uh, Octopus Network's mm -hmm. Discord. You can only see it if you actually work for an AppChain project or if you are an AppChain founder. And mm -hmm. um, anyone who is building an AppChain at Octopus Network has a lobby that they are effectively sharing with somebody else. Um, I set this right. up on purpose. I decided the permissioning and I said, you know, it wouldn't make sense to create a small private enclave for every small entity that we want to interface with we need a semi-public lobby that makes sense for people who are actually doing stuff. So mm -hmm. that's the sort of uh, tiered balance right now is the accelerator program, um, substrate education for developers who are looking to get into it but haven't brought a project forward. And then um, you know, long-term, if you do sort of come forward and say, hey, we are interested in building with Octopus, it's our duty mm -hmm. to help you. Epic. Okay. I, I like that you have, you have, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say just, you know, okay. Yeah. Tentacles in, in that area too, but, <laughs> but you, <laughs> but you've also been able to, to create a, a, a good circular loop where, where this is concerned in, in the ecosystem, uh, bringing hackathons to becoming projects, to becoming solutions that have a real case, uh, you know, uh, utility, right. A real world I lost you for a second. Uh, it's left hanging, don't you think? Um, I, I lost the middle part of that. I'm so sorry. I'm not sure if it was you or me, but I, I lost the middle part of your sentence. Sorry. Right. Okay. Uh, so, sorry. I, I think for some reason, okay, maybe it may be me, Sheldon. Um, just okay. a second. Let me no see worries. Back. Oh, there you are. Okay. Uh, I lost the sound, but the good thing is that on, on the phone, what I do is I keep the captions on. So I know that uh, you've lost me somewhere in the middle. Mm. Um, <laughs> right. Um, right. Okay. So, so as I was saying, it's like, uh, so coming back to, to hackathons and you having, you know, at Octopus Network, having, having a circular system where you're able to take a project, develop it into, um, you know, have them close the solution, but also turn them into a project that has real world utility. Uh, and in that manner, foster something further for the ecosystem. Yeah, so the, 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 the mentality and the model is really that whether you're in the accelerator program or you're working with us on the side, we want to help you realize your minimum viable product, your MVP. So mm -hmm. Sometimes that means that you have decided that your sort of initial feature set has to be pretty deep for it to make sense. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really common in a bear market, right? Is that you, you want to have very significant value, not just a, an initial starting point. Um, but we're trying to help the, the sort of um, the understanding between that and our audit process. So every right. chain that launches an octopus is manually audited by us. So instead of leaving that audit to the last second and saying, oh, surprise, this isn't allowed we would rather just collaborate with you while you're working. It's efficient, more efficient for everybody, right? So exactly. that model of, you know, like, hey, we want to shoot the gap between what makes the most sense, which does have an on-chain value proposition, uh, you know, which is a self-contained value prop effectively. Um, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that's, that's what we're, we're, you know, sort of budgeted to do. Um, structures, structures say that we should have 2025 worth of runway to keep doing that. 
Um, we are really happy about the accelerator program so far, but of course we, we want to help more substrate projects. That's our bread and butter. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's, let's, let's go a little bit into more of the substrate projects. Um, before which I, I, I did remember that there was a question I had to ask you about, about how, um, let me see, I had it written down. I'm sorry about the, yeah, about the OTC economy. You gave us one use case. Um, what else is there? Sure. So the, the main purpose of OCT is to act as a simultaneous governance token and collateral token, right? So that collateral token is uh, the least proof of stake model. Um, it really is borrowing value from the root layer of NIR. But the other opportunities available with that are mostly governance based. So that means that anyone who holds OCT can, um, you know, give their opinion, can be part of a veto type vote when the app chain goes to launch. Um, mm -hmm. That means that if the uh, app chain literally doesn't get the thumbs up from the community, they don't get to go forward. Um, additionally, you know, because th that's for all OCT holders. Um, additionally, if you are a whale or if you're looking to sort of, you know, take a significant stake uh, in the economy, mm -hmm. um, there is a um, supervising governance council that we've designed. Uh, maximum number of seats, I think, is 25 people. But if you, um, you know, are so bold as to occupy 1% of the OCT supply, then we would like to entangle you in some deeper governance. We want to know more about what you think about the ecosystem. You're a big enough token holder to the point where it makes sense that your voice matters, right? So right. that is a, a higher level of governance, but we're also playing with a couple of different um, alternatives and things that we want to build in. Um, I think mm -hmm. a pretty easy example of, of what I've been talking about internally at Octopus is Spree, S-P-R-E-E. -E. Um, mm -hmm. This is a sort of... Uh, cross-chain governance concept that comes from Polkadot ecosystem. And basically, each of these chains has their own governance on-chain, and that is integrated with their products. At the same time, right. it may be purposeful to them, uh, for them to have like an Astro DAO, you know, a very easy-to-use DAO on near based on their validator mm -hmm. set. So having a sort of, you know, public council between the people who run a blockchain and the people who are working on new software for it um, that's the that's the next step that I can see is you know some better DAO integrations with Near, and um, just yeah making that make sense for for more people to raise their voice about the protocol. Super okay. Um, that that being said, children, uh, I'm also curious to to get your your ideas about where do you see where do you see Web three going? You know, and in in the industry, for example, over the the next five years. Uh, even though it, it, I, I agree, it does look bleak now. We've we've spoken about how things are going, but um, over the next five years, what what do you envision is is going to be pivotal? What what's going to be the shift from from your perspective? Let's talk it on mute there for a second. So I come from a cybersecurity background where I was used to tokenization um, outside of crypto uh, a lot, and I, and I know how corporations use that stuff. Uh, the most common mm -hmm. use cases for uh, credit card data because it's very easy to have a hash that represents a credit card instead of actually moving credit card data around on a non-compliant network. So I think that outside of compliance, um, that tooling and the way that that has worked for corporations is something that's coming to people. So mm -hmm. what does that mean? A person doesn't necessarily have a SAP system and a giant database that they need to share with somebody else and charge a fee to access but they may have a social relationship that they want to quantify, that they want sort of publicly posted or rated by somebody else or entangled in a larger, a larger reputation economy. So I think that's the, the way forward that we can expect is that 
people have been working backwards towards use cases for a while, we're going to have to work, you know, from use cases down for a little bit to make the bear market make sense. Um, Really easy example that I've been leaning on is DAOs as a solution for unions. On the one hand, it doesn't actually change anything. But on the other Mm -hmm. hand, having an individual registry where each union member is posting their votes publicly makes it very hard for union leadership to go against them, as I've seen in a a few recent instances in the U.S., where the leadership of a union literally voted opposite the entire body of the union. You know, so I think that those kinds of social needs, um, they're still Mm -hmm. very real. You know, it's not necessarily work oriented, but it can be. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's the immediate future of tokenization of Web3 that we should expect is that a social dynamic created by an NFT project doesn't make as much sense as a social dynamic that already existed where someone makes an NFT project to go with it. Fair enough. I, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I would look forward to, you know, a, a future where this, the, the exact same model, the transparency of having a vote uh, is, is, you know, it exist, right? Because as as much as we, we can rely on, on systems today, being being able to publicly see that is a whole different ballgame. Uh, and I'm I'm hopeful, just as you are, that it's a matter of time before we see that uh, see that happen. Absolutely. And I, I think this sort of hiding in plain sight mentality is is the way that that tokenization is going to work. And of course with mm. roll-ups and privacy and fungibility all improving in different ways. Um, that'll get more compartmentalized over time, but I, I think mm-hmm. that's a, a really exciting destination for us is data standards, uh, you know, social groups coming into Web3 and saying, hey, I do want to be on more than one chain because I see value here and I see value here. I, I think that's the future. Yeah, well, uh, it, and a bright future it will be if that if that does happen. And but let's let's all let this let's stay optimistic, right? Let's stay optimistic and, and just keep working in that direction. As, uh, as much as we can, because that, that is certainly a future that, that will empower more people since they understand that they, they, their vote matters, their voice matters, um, and, you know, in, in the way that it, it should, not just the way that it's, uh, uh, the, the propaganda is built around it, right? Fair enough. Okay. Uh, Sheldon, I've had a great time speaking to you, but I'm, I, I know that the rest of the audience in the room and, and myself as well uh, want to know what's your personal philosophy, what makes you tick, what makes you wake up in the morning and fires you up. And don't say coffee. <laughs> no, I, I love coffee, but it doesn't love me. So that, that's off the list. Um, so honestly, what, what gets me out of bed every day, what gets me um, going and, and staying productive um, is this idea that comes from a, a slight religious upbringing. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll skip the details, but basically, um, I believe that I have an obligation to make a better world because I want to have kids because I want to be happier with what I see when I'm dying than, you know, what I was seeing while I was growing up. So right. making the world a better place really is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I know that sounds like terribly effective altruism. So I, you know, don't take my word for it. Trust what I do, not what I say. But at the same time, um, I think that the, um, you know, the, the, the cell pressure in society is very real. Um, watching my friends sort of go through COVID challenges and, you know, not just struggle in a bear market, but have a hard time in the current labor market. Um, you know, it does make me keep going because it, it makes me think about what we're working on in Web3 today and how unions and different social organizations can be benefiting from this technology if only we had a little bit more resources and, and time to, to work on it. 
So yeah, I, I think that the um, the industry has been racing against the profit motive for um, about six years, maybe eight. And right. um, honestly, uh, part of getting out of bed in the morning is understanding that that force will always be there, but that it's not mm -hmm. the truly dominant force in Web3. So it sounds silly to say because Web3 is such a label associated with extractive behavior and all this stuff, mm -hmm. but I genuinely believe in read, write, execute as a model for Web3. And that means that we need to talk about the profit motive more seriously over time. Well, thank you for sharing that, Sheldon. I'm, I'm, I'm certain there's a lot of us that, that will agree with that same mindset and, and that same philosophy. Uh, you know, we're, we're all here to, to make a better future. Some of us are here to make a better future for, for, the, for ourselves. Uh, and some of us are, are, you know, genuinely still feel that, yep, making the, uh, a better future for, for everybody else around me is, you know, touching on that secret of happiness is that if you make someone happy, then that's, that's what really makes you happy. Well, I would say that being externally happy can be very unhealthy. So slight, you know, grain of salt with that. But at the same time, yeah, yeah doing good for other people, it, it should make you feel good, especially if you're doing that in a healthy manner. And yeah, I just, I, I do genuinely like being a helpful guy. And it's mm -hmm. not necessarily because I love seeing the world a better place. I just like being a, a positive influence. It does feel nice. Oh, fair enough. And God bless the Boy Scouts. Uh, you know, they did give us something to, <laughs> to report. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's still too few of us left. But hey, sell uh, right? Sell Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to open the room up for questions. I know that you've got tons of them for, for Sheldon. Uh, what you can do is raise your hand or request to, to be a speaker and our team will get you listed. If not, you can also send in your questions to add Lunum INC or the speaker directly and we'll pick them up for Sheldon to answer in a moment. Excellent. Okay. While, we're, while we're jumping on that, let me grab some water really quick and I'll be right back. Sure, go for it. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I can see that there's a few questions that are already, already piping in. Right. Okay. Okay. So Sheldon, when you're ready, um, uh, I've got, I've got the first question from an, I, from ND and says, um, you, you've mentioned how, right. Okay. So, so you've mentioned how, um, you know, uh, Octopus Protocol, sorry, Octopus Network helps small businesses. Um, to take it one step larger, how does, you know, blockchain, how do you see blockchain helping emerging economies? What's your take on that? So <clears throat> I think that um, in the West, we're used to SaaS applications. We're used to sort of like one person being the center of attention because they have all the collateral and they have all the tooling. Um, I think that that's something that's going to get skipped in markets like Africa. Um, that means that there are sort of similar business needs that exist here, but there aren't similar systems in some cases. So instead of joining two SaaS platforms and then calling three different people to try to integrate them together, I think it makes mm -hmm. a lot more sense to say, okay, all three of us care about this good or service. Let's track it together. Basically, go back to triple accounting. That was the real thing mm -hmm. that made this industry start, become worthwhile, make a splash, et cetera. So I think that's the, the, the way forward is that the thing to expect mm -hmm. is that these, um, these needs still exist, but at the same right. time, it's not going to be hyperledger fabric for everybody. It's probably going to be smaller blockchains that are just for their purpose. So 
basically what I'm saying is that I think the cosmos model of ecosystems is going to be the most strong in the way that this kind of uh, modularity works because people will have these business needs. And the way that that makes sense is just to, um, to save money and to, you know, sort of uh, take less steps in a process that needs to be collaborative. Fair enough. Okay, yes, and I'm, I'm certain that that has answered the question. Okay, I've got two more. Uh, oh, five more. Okay, so first one is, um, for a new developer, uh, is it easy to get to transition into Web3 or to get started with blockchain technology? And uh, also, what is one of the biggest misconceptions about blockchain? So, so the first one's I, transition, second one is, can you jump into blockchain? Sure. So I, I think um, jumping into blockchain quickly is uh, a little bit more challenging than more traditional development. Um, if you were looking at JVM in a, a small environment, uh, just you know, just a few years before the start of Ethereum, then of course moving on to EVM, you have some advantages and some similarities. There's still a lot you need to learn about Ethereum bytecode, about the way these networks operate, before you can make an application that really makes sense. If you're working in JVM and it's a non-block producing structure and that's just a Java virtual machine that you're working with, you know, inside a business, um, that is going right. to behave differently and have different requirements and, you know, different challenges, honestly. So I think that it does take some um, upskilling. It, it can be a little bit difficult to directly switch. Um, mm -hmm. What was the other question? Sorry. Right. So the first one was, are there any misconceptions about blockchain? Oh, um, sure. I mean, I remember um, 2013 era, the, the, there were very similar conversations about cloud. Oh, cloud, mm -hmm. I don't really know what it is, but it's taken over the world. It does everything. Like, okay, yes, you can have a similar attitude with blockchain, but just like cloud, there's lots of applications that don't necessarily make sense there. You know, if you are, you know, if you're, if you're working on a localized application that is for, you know, small home devices, is that stuff going to beacon out to the internet these days? Sure. Is that the most efficient and sensible way to do that? No. Talking on your local network is. So I, I think there are some, um, let's say, uh, worthwhile challenges of note. Um, at the mm -hmm. same time, um, there's, um, I'm sorry, I'm being bombarded with notifications. I need to turn this off. Um, yeah, we, we can keep going, though. Apologies. You, you get my point. I don't mean to massage it too yeah. much. No, fair enough. Okay, so yes, so there are multiple use cases. We've got to watch out for, so I hope that does answer your question. Um, right, okay, so the next one is, all right, okay, so this, this one comes in from Natia, it's, and she's asking, uh, is there still a future for someone who wants to work in Web3? Yes, I think so. Um, I'm, I'm pretty enamored about being in the space. I left corporate IT for this thing. I think that there is going to be this period of uncertainty while macroeconomics are difficult and, you know, the larger narrative for crypto markets is sort of up in the air. Um, I don't think it's up in the air, but I think people see it that way. So I think that in the short term, um, getting Web3 jobs isn't necessarily difficult because there's still lots of very many people active in the space. At the same time, it's a small market. So when you look at, like, you know, the, the difference in engaging in trading on Forex versus engaging in trading on a DEX on a single layer one, um, even if that layer one is Ethereum, that's a very, very different market size. So I think that's the one mm -hmm. thing to know is that it is still quite worthwhile, feasible. You know, it's productive to operate in this industry, but it is mm -hmm. very, very young. 
So know that it's a small market when you're coming in. Fair enough. That's good advice. Um, okay, next question. The next question comes in from Guria, uh, and she asks, will you also support projects on other chains in the future? Will you stay on near? Um, I, I think you did answer that one, but for Gloria. I'll cover it. I'll cover it. So um, we have no plan to leave near. Um, we, we like the way our integration works with near, and when we plan to be here, and definitely near is our biggest investor. And uh, just personally, I'm a fan. Um, what I can tell you outside of substrate chains is that Cosmos chains are next on the, the roadmap. So if you want to look at our GitHub and you know keep an eye or follow some of those repos, um, you'll notice that Cosmos SDK is the next uh, ecosystem that we want to support because we see what's going on in Cosmos and Polkadot, and we think those are both productive ecosystems. So that's how we'll be supporting them is, is through the scalability of Near. Fair enough. Okay. I think that that was our, our last question for the day, Sheldon. Thank, thank you so much for, for being on the show and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, more power to you guys over at, at Octopus Network. And, you know, uh, one last thing. Where do people find you? Uh, give, give us a shout out to, uh, to Octopus Network, but tell people where they can find you if they want to follow for more. Sure. So uh, come check out our website at OCT.network. You're welcome to also PM our Twitter account here that's in the uh, in the spaces. Um, we're open to, to questions just about anywhere. Um, Discord, Telegram, we, we try to support anyone on any platform that has a genuine interest. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, I'm trying mm -hmm. to uh, figure out a new social way forward because I don't like just, you know, living on Twitter and giving that uh, information system my, my thoughts and feelings. But um, at the same time, that is where you can find me these days. So if you uh, if you have a question for me offline or there's something that you want to uh, work on or know about Octopus Network, you're welcome to contact me or tweet at me. JP again for a second, but yeah, I'm 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 a relatively open guy. Um, dot dot card slash Sheldon. Um, I'm also a privacy advocate, so you know, please respect if I need to backpedal a little bit. But at the same time, yeah, I'm just I believe in this concept, and I'm happy to be here if people have questions about it. Super, Sheldon. Once again, thank you and and team uh, Octopus Network for being on the show today. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. Please remember, we will be back. Uh, next week at the same time and the same place. Tell us what you think. Drop us a comment. Send us some love for all the stuff, the good stuff that you've heard on the show on the wonderful people that that, that come here uh, as well. Uh, remember to tune in on Tuesdays for our other podcast, The Future of NFTs, hosted by Natia Bester, our co-founder, and she talks about everything that's in the NFT space. Also, just to bring that out there, we'll be coming up with an internship program at at Ludum, so stay tuned. All right, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Diving into Crypto, proudly hosted by Ad Lunum, the first engaged to earn platform with a proof of attention model and dynamic NFT investor profiles. 